you know, laying in that hospital bed, staring up at the ceiling alone, sleep deprived, and looking at that IV bag of antibiotics that's keeping you alive, basically fighting the fight for you. I did a lot of soul searching and, <laughs> you know, it's back to that original question. Am I the man, if I'm dying, am I the man I wanted to be? Is this the man I wanted to be? And the answer was no. And several other questions I asked myself, you know, the answer is no, I've got a lot more work to do on myself and... Welcome to the Habits to Goals podcast with Martin Grunberg. It's time to take control of your life. Are you ready to achieve goals faster and more consistently than ever before? You need the habit factor. You're listening to Habits to Goals, the podcast that helps you create the habits that lead to success. Here is Martin Grunberg. All right, before we jump into this episode, I'd like to encourage you, make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the Habits to Goals podcast. Do us, Henry and I, a huge favor, if you could please leave a review. And finally, if you're new to the program, you're looking for a quick resource and a great tool, just text me, us, at 33444. Again, that's 33. 444 and simply text four goals. That's the number four, G O A L S. So that's four goals to 33444. You'll be dialed in. You'll get the template right away. Now let's bring it back to this episode of Habits to Goals. All righty. Welcome back, Habits to Goals listeners. Thank you for joining me. My name is Martin Grunberg. And of course, here on the other line, I have brought a one-of-a-kind guest. This man is an exceptional entrepreneur, a philanthropist, one heck of a golfer, (laughs) and (laughs) he epitomizes the American dream, and we're going to get into all that today. John Lingham, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, Martin. Glad, glad to be here. It's an honor to be on um, your podcast. Well, I'm the one who's honored, and I think you might know how we kick this off. We like to start the show before we get into your extensive and expertise. Um, <laughs> we like to kick this off with a GTR, a Good Things Report. Would you like to go first or shall I? I'd like to go first. Actually, um, I just got my federal tax refund today, um, <laughs> which um, doesn't sound that astounding until if you saw my tax projection back in September, forecasting some dire uh, tax um, payments coming up in April. I was pretty ecstatic to get that news that our last quarter planning came through and got a little money back. That's fantastic. It's it's reminding me of the... <laughs> The what was the Trump loss nine hundred million dollars that he got to write off for the next ten years? Not quite, yeah. not quite that much. <laughs> yeah, but he paid thirty eight million in taxes, and uh, right, I don't right, know. Right. It's a no, bitter no. pill. We, we 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 are not getting into politics. <laughs> um, well, congrats, man. That I'm sure that that always feels good. Get a little. What's more. your What's your GTR? That's a very good question. I'm scrambling to think of it. We. <laughs> We we had some technical difficulties getting into the show, and uh, let me take a second here. Oh, okay. This is a no-brainer. Um, so today's blog post, I was just about to hit send on an email I blast to the subscribers, and of course, what I do, John, is test to make sure that these things look okay and Um, They're sending okay. So I'm in my mailbox just about to hit send, and I get an email from a listener. And her email was just, it just floored me. And it was about the the blog post I was going to notify people about. And um, so, so that blog post is about responsibility. So that just came out today. Anyway, she's like, wow, the blog post was insane. It was very timely. There's a video with it. And she went on and on and just uh, thanked me for the blog post. And then the related 
podcast we did last week, which was called, I don't know if you heard it, it was called The Fruits of Pain. So yeah, there I did. You did? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, so there we are. We're caught up on the GTR. So I mean, let's back up and kind of kick things off, John. I I uh, don't want to give all our familiarity away. And the fact is, I know John Lingham very well, but I'm not going to let that get in the way of an excellent interview. <laughs> so give us some background. You grew up in San Diego, correct? That's correct. And then you went to what, San Diego State? Yep. Sweet. And what did you study at State? Well, I didn't know I was – well, I had a dream to go into business someday. Um, so I didn't take a single business class in five years at San Diego State, of course, <laughs> and uh, majored in criminal justice administration. Nice. I didn't know that. So you were you were gunning for the FBI or something, right? Uh, we were thinking law school. We were thinking I – I don't know. I just uh, – I wanted to open my own restaurant and um, didn't know what else I wanted to do at the time. So let's get into that. That's semi-natural segue. So you're at San Diego State. When did you get involved in uh, the restaurant business? Because we're gonna well, get we're gonna talk about that semi-extensively here. Well, that that was back in the '80s when you can actually pay your way own way through college by working, and I I paid my way through San Diego State working at a pancake house I had worked at in high school. Wow. And over five years of paying my way through college, I learned the business. I loved the business um, and uh, paid my way through San Diego State. And then I graduated and nothing really appealed to me. Um, and then <laughs> I hacked out a crude business plan on a typewriter, I believe. This is 1988, I think. Wow. Uh, pitch, pitched the owner I had worked for for eight years. Um, found a location, uh, bugged the heck out of her for a couple years until she finally said, all right, all right, I'll help you open this place, but you're going to pay me a lot of money doing it. And, um, that was 27 years ago. So that's, that's phenomenal. And that's why I, uh, I'm telling the listener, but I'm also reiterating it to you, John, this, to me, you truly do epitomize the, the American dream, um, Working hard, coming from humble background, putting your way through school, paying your way through school, working at the time. So when you say you came to your boss, so you had worked for her for how many years? And then and then what was the, the idea was to open your own restaurant? And wouldn't, wasn't she going to be pissed about that? Well, I figure I had nothing to lose. I was uh, 23, 24 at the time with uh, probably $5,000 to my name and... Um, what did I have to lose? She could say no. And then I would just continue on with whatever career I chose. But, um, I just really loved, um, the restaurant business that I was in and I had a knack for it. I thought, and, um, just kept bugging her and eventually she relented. So, and this is mostly a breakfast joint. It's like, it's the pancake house, right? Yeah. It's the original pancake house. It's a franchise, um, nationwide franchise. Okay, so the year's 88-ish, you're 24-ish, and you come to her and say, I want to open a separate franchise, and were you, like, asking her to help fund it, or... Well, yeah, I, I was more like 20 or 21. She always uh, admired wow. my work ethic and the brief dealings I had with her, and and I um, kept bugging her, and, um, you know, she finally relented. But um, the business plan did make sense on paper, but um, uh, she took a leap of faith in me and um, made a lot of money off the deal. But um, eventually, <laughs> once once I paid her off, right. um, uh, you know, 13, 14 years later, I could finally make a little bit of money. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you say that the business plan didn't make sense, if if it was a franchise, what what didn't make sense from your your vantage point there? Well, I was naive. I, you know, I had always worked in a busy restaurant, so what, it's not so hard. Business can't be that hard. Right. You know, look at all the people coming in, 
And uh, the numbers I put on paper looked good. I pulled them out of thin air. <laughs> um, and she, you know, we thought she was stringing me along. My parents weren't happy with the idea. They wanted me to get on with my life. I was, I just graduated from college. I was 22. Right. And um, I said, you know, I'm going to give this a, a year or so. I'll keep bugging her and find a location. I found a great location in Poway. And um, to my surprise, she said, okay, I, we came up with the money. Because they had to go get financing. And it's, it's hard to, um, you know, finance a restaurant even in 1990. Wow. And where was her restaurant? Uh, she owned the Kearney Mesa restaurant. Aha. Okay. So this was a new location out in Poway. And so fast yeah. forward, flash all the way, bring it all the way to, to, to today, and you have the Poway restaurant, and you also have another one, right? Yeah, we opened the, thir- the Temecula restaurant 13 years ago. So I'm pretty much a two-trick pony. I'm not a wonderful businessman. I'm more like the reluctant entrepreneur. You know, I, I'm pretty risk-averse. And uh, um, with my two locations, you know, I'm, I'm happy. Um have dreams of more, but uh, we'll talk about work-life balance later. Yeah, well, you know, and it's funny um, – I think the listeners already picking up on your tremendous sense of humility. Um, but this is no small feat to, to, <laughs> to start, to launch and to make, let alone one restaurant, but two of them successful. That, um, that just speaks volumes to, again, I think you're, your character and your work ethic. So how long was Poway open before Temecula, uh, before you thought, Hey, let's, let's try for number, number two here. I I had thought about it, you know, since year five, but I was holding myself back, um, through the mistakes I was making. Cause here, here I am 24 years old, no business experience. I didn't take a single business class in college. So I had to learn not only how to run a business, but how to manage people and deal with people. And it's a lot of pressure for a 24-year-old guy who just knows how to cook, basically. Um, so my own mistakes were holding me back. I mean, I, I am the greatest micromanager or was the greatest micromanager in the history of business. What I didn't realize at the time, I was not only holding myself back, I was holding my employees back, too. I was the payroll guy, the cook, the orderer. The hire, the fire, the banker, the scheduler, because no one could do it as good as me, as well as me. Right. Um, but finally, I got to the point, you know, when you're after 10 years, you're driving to work and you get within a half a mile of your business and it feels like someone's sitting on your chest. It's time to make some changes in your life. So I began to let go of some of these responsibilities. And lo and behold, not only did I learn that. Uh, these individuals were capable of doing things as good as me. They were actually better at those things than me. So it, um, it, it was just a learning process. And I think I've made every mistake in the book and I'm still making mistakes, but, um, it's been a 27 year, um, learning process. Well, you know, just another overnight success. <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to that because, uh, you have already uprooted some, incredible gems and and what was the catalyst when you realized um i and i get it was you're driving to work and it feels like somebody's sitting on your chest but but what happened or what were there were there uh one two or three events where you're like what was the epiphany um that made you begin to delegate. And, and if you recall, I recognize it was a long time ago, but, but what was the first thing you let go of? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I am, I'm at a loss for an answer, but I think it's, it's um, seeing one of my key managers or key people handle a situation in such a way that it was better than I could handle it and seeing them grow um, by being challenged because employees want to be challenged. They don't want to have the same job for 20 years. But uh, seeing seeing them handle certain things without me, and it's a, and it's a big ego check. Holy cow! What, sometimes I think, what do they even need me for, besides signing checks? Right. But um, it was both gratifying and and eye opening 
Um, so I, I began to let go of different um, responsibilities and, and I forced myself to accept what well, in my mind, accept 90% of as well as I was doing it. When in reality, they were doing it 110% of how I was doing it. Except, but, um, yeah. you know, but in my mind, I said, well, you know what? They're not going to do it as good as me, but I can accept 90% or <laughs> 80%. Right. Because <laughs> there was a, there was a trade-off. I was being alleviated of the things I hated to do. And, and that's what my managers and I, you know, what I'm good at, they're not good at. And what I'm not good at, they're great at. And so we, we realize our roles and, um, you know, that's, that's a, that's a gut check looking in the mirror and saying, I'm just not good at A, B, C, and D and I can't do it anymore. Um, but I'm good at this and I like doing this. I want to do that. Um, but, uh, it's the team. I get all the credit, but man, I have such amazing employees and management team. Um, they, they do it all and I get all the credit. You know, you've probably heard that before. Well, um, but I'm, I'm interested in, and is this because we all know the ridiculous stats, um, and I'm sure they're much better when people franchise, but, but maybe not worlds better. And what I'm getting at is starting anything is, is very difficult. And, and how is it? You see, what my experience tells me is that the people who, you know, air quotes succeed are the ones that continue to adapt and they reflect and they adapt some more and then they adjust and they reflect. And I'm just wondering when you, because I know uh, those qualities suit you, but, but as a young man, um, I'm thinking you, you butted your head up against a few problems. And then at some point I want to know, when you realized, oh, I got to do this differently or this differently, do you do you recall any of that? Yeah, I recall being the kind of person I would not want to work for. Looking back, <laughs> wow. and you know, I'm I'm embarrassed to say that, but um, I, I our turnover was high, and I blamed I blamed it on just substandard employees who didn't um, bend to my inflexible will. You know, I wanted things a certain way and that's the way it's going to be. And, right. and customers too. I mean, the more flexible I became over the years, the more I attracted better employees and kept my customers and grew my business. So that inflexible dictator mentality I had at 24 to probably 28 just doesn't fly, especially today. That's fantastic. And that's part of what I suspected um, just was the, you know, the natural evolution, if you will. I, I think I shared with you, I was doing some uh, coaching for an accelerator group and there, one of the students who will remain nameless, um, he's young, he's probably 28. And, and it was, he was firing people <clears throat> and firing people and firing people. And at a certain point, it was, yeah, I just gave him that little nudge to say, you know, there's one, <laughs> there's one thing consistent throughout all these hires and, and it could be you. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and I know from my experience, um, you know, I, I got started a little later than you, but I had a lot of challenges with, uh, with employees early on. And um, it just seems like that is the ability to have these, you know, interdependent relationships is, as Dr. Stephen Covey likes to say, it's the highest form of maturity. And that's maybe a natural segue to where I want to go. At what point did you start? Uh, really diving into personal development because I know you, <clears throat> excuse me, have done Toastmasters. You read a lot. Um, when did that occur to you that that might be a path to making things a little easier? And by things, I mean life. Yeah, you know, it goes back to you know looking in the mirror and saying, "This is this the kind of guy I would want to work for?" And I I knew the answer, but I, I knew I knew the guy I wanted to be. 
And the guy I was wasn't even close to the guy I wanted to be. Wow. It goes back to, to goal setting. And so I started with the Toastmasters and, and, and different learning and, and reading. And it, is, it was just it's, – it's so difficult for me. For, for instance, giving praise is one of my – it's one of my toughest things to do. And um, we did a strength finder exercise in my EO group, a uh, group of business owners. And it turns out that some things you think are deficiencies are actually strengths. So me being reluctant to give praise is actually a strength because when my employee does get praise, they appreciate it more because I give it so infrequently. Um, that, that's one example. But I knew I was on the wrong path in, in my 20s, late 20s, early 30s. And I don't know. I started getting introspective. I read a book called The Seasons of a Man's Life, and it just shows the different phases in, in life that you're on, wow. that you're in. And uh, that, that just started me reflecting internally and looking for ways to improve myself. Well, I'm going to uh, reiterate it. I'm sure the, the listeners slash readers have heard it a million times, but I love the quote so much it keeps coming up. Aristotle apparently said wisdom is equal measure experience plus reflection and you are a very healthy example <laughs> of that's that. a great quote wow yeah i uh i love that quote um all right so let's bring it let's move it over a little to since you brought it up i think it's great how do you balance two restaurants um a family and, and your entrepreneur group and, you know, all the other things you're doing. I mentioned at the top of the show, um, John is, as far as my circle of friends goes, he may be the number one philanthropist. He does more and gives away more money than I think any of us really know. So, so how is it you're balancing all these things, John? Well, back back when I was shedding myself of the responsibilities that I didn't uh, like, um, I became addicted to it and started uh, giving away everything. Wow. So I started delegating um, most of my responsibilities because my employees liked doing it and they were better at it than me. So um, right around the time I was doing that, I read a book called The 4-Hour Workweek and what Tim Ferriss's book did, it validated for me the things I was doing. It's okay not to work a 40-hour week or 50 or 60-hour week. It's okay to uh, do the things that are necessary. Um, and I think it was in Scaling Up or The One Thing where um, you need to be the visionary as the owner, not the integrator. And so my right-hand girl, Jasmine, has been with me for 18 years. Wow. She's my integrator. And what I'm good at, she's not good at. Well, she's good at everything, but... Uh, but what I'm not good at, she's great at. And we make a great team. And I think any entrepreneur or owner of a business needs to be the visionary. They need to get out of the trenches and work on the business instead of in the business. Because you're holding the business back. You're holding everyone back. Because we fool ourselves into thinking, well, I have to work you know, 40 hours a week and do all these tasks and answer all these emails and call these customers back. When in reality, you can you let your employees do that kind of stuff. I'm kind of rambling. I don't know if I'm on track here, but um, I, I became addicted to uh, delegating. And I, I probably work 10, 15 hours a month now. And um, work-life balance is important to me. And, and I have two young daughters, and um, I'm always there for them. And they're every morning, every night, um, every event. And that's more important than, to me than building a a collection of 20 restaurants, some empire grinding 80 hours a week. Um, that, that's just, that's just not for me. It's uh, other things more important to me. That's beautiful. All right. Just a quick timeout. Want to make sure you're aware that when you subscribe, that is you hit the subscribe button, you're going to get three episodes automatically delivered to you. And in some cases, wirelessly. So you'll get your, Mind Bullet Monday, your interview on Wednesday, and of course, your Frequently Asked Friday, all automatically delivered when you subscribe. And on a related note, just want to make sure you realize it helps Henry and I tremendously. If you're getting value, 
to leave a quick review, particularly in iTunes. iTunes values reviews. It weighs them very heavily, and that helps the show rankings and how we can spread our message. And one more uh, quick note about our great sponsor, Audible.com. If there's one thing I know, and I think Jim Rohn was the one who said this originally, in five years, the difference in your life will be largely based upon two things, the books you've read and the relationships you have fostered. Doesn't it make sense to take advantage of the downtime, whether you're on the road, on a run, in the gym, kill a couple birds with one stone, get a book going? It's phenomenal. It's I, the more people I turn on to it, the more uh, compliments I get. Not that I've actually done anything. 180,000 titles to choose from. You get one free book a month, 30% off any other book. Again, check it out. Audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals. I'm going to say that again real quick. Audibletrial.com forward slash habits to goals, and that is the number two. All right. Well, I warned you this was going to be brilliant. Johnny is the man, and it keeps getting better from here. So let's get right back to it. Circle back in a related fashion to that. So um, I don't know if you want to talk about it. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. There was a recent health scare um, that had obviously your family and and your dearest friends very, very concerned, if not scared to death. And that was only a matter of uh, whatever month or two ago. Is that something you mind chatting about? No, not at all. Um, I, I was given an oral um, medicine for a rash, and it has a side effect of um, shutting down your bone marrow uh, that the doctor didn't check for. Oh so uh, a month later, I had no white blood cells, and, and everyone has bacteria in their blood, and the infection began to take over my body, and um, we got to the hospital in time. And uh, 10 days in the hospital later, um, my white blood cells came back, and after losing 35 pounds in 10 days, um, I'm almost back to, I'm about 90% now, but, you know, laying in that hospital bed, staring up at the ceiling alone, sleep deprived and looking at that IV bag of antibiotics that's keeping you alive, basically fighting the fight for you. I did a lot of soul searching and, <laughs> you know, it's back to that original question. Am I the man, if I'm dying, am I the man I wanted to be? Is this the man I wanted to be? And the answer was no. And several other questions I asked myself, you know, the answer is no, I've got a lot more work to do on myself and, you know, with the charities that we work with and my family. And luckily the white blood cells came back and I'm, I'm healthy now, but, um, I did a lot of soul searching and if anything, you know, I'm going to work even less now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, um, you know, I, I really, it really changed my priorities and, and it was, it was a wake up call. Um, but I started to get on the grinder. I started to chase my tail a little bit with business and started to get back into that mode of working too much. And um, I, I'm glad to say I'm, I'm, I'm getting a second chance at that stuff. Yeah, well, um, so first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's precisely why I wanted to to delve into it and touch upon it, John, because – all I could think, I mean, when people are sitting here thinking, is he going to come out? You know, all I could think was, this is really heavy, like, from an existential standpoint. Like, you had to be, uh, while you're trapped in that hospital room, wondering, and, and it seemed to me, from the outside looking in, we got experts, I'm using air quotes, these doctors, and everybody's chasing their tail, and... It seemed like there was just a lot of, we don't know, we'll have to see what it looks like tomorrow. And then tomorrow was eight days later, and the white blood sound, uh, count wasn't getting much better. And, um, and yeah, there were a lot of uh, very, very, very concerned 
uh, people. So I just, <clears throat> I wanted to, and I was hopeful you would share what that was like and, and what kind of, I hate, for lack of a better way to put it, the fruits of the pain, what, what you got out of that uh, horrific ordeal. And it sounds like you, you were able to take a lot of good out of it in a way. Yeah. One, one of the other things, um, one of the main things I took out of it, and it was the concern of my uh, employees and friends. And you don't realize how many friends you have um, until something like that happens. But then my employees were sending me cards and it was about a hundred employees. And then when I went, eventually went back in, they were in tears. I'm glad to see me. And you know, I think that's a good thing. I think there's a lot of bosses or owners out there who wouldn't get the same reaction, but um, <laughs> yeah. I, I was gratified to see that. And just the love and um, that everybody has in my church and my kids school. But um, yeah, it, it's, it's, um, definitely a wake up call and you get another chance, you know? Um, what's interesting is one night, you know, I was sleep deprived and on these medications and I'm hallucinating. I I don't even know what's, I'm seeing things in the dark. And then I look at my phone and I never should have been given my phone. And there was a Facebook message from my childhood friend from like 40 years ago who I lost track of. Wow. And he decided at that moment to tell me his new name is he's a he's got a new name and he's been traveling the world for the last four years. Sorry, he hasn't. And then I'm so I'm I'm in this mental state thinking, is this like God's way of like like shoring up all my loose ends before I before I hit the road? You know, <laughs> it was surreal. But um, it, it took me a few days, but um, I, I contacted him and it was good to hear from him. Well. Um, again, thanks for sharing that. There's one thing, and, and you may know this, but um, there are various ways for me to come at this, but <clears throat> the reason I did the Catalina Classic, the reason I took on that goal was um, not because I was you know, laid up in a hospital, um, but in, somehow, in many ways I convinced myself I gave myself this image that you are going to die tomorrow. And if that happens, what would you most regret not doing, uh, achieving or experiencing? And that, you know, if, if one takes that as seriously as they can, um, it can be a tremendous catalyst. There's, there's another woman, not to get too, too sideways here. Uh, she's going to be on the show in the future. She, she has rowed across, I think, every major ocean, just solo in a rowboat. And that was the same sort of um, catalyst and question for her. It was like, if you were to die, in her case, I think she wrote her obituary as, as, if she were, <clears throat> excuse me, living the life she's currently living or the one she wanted to live. And in, in all of the above scenarios, it seems to me it's this wake up call. It's this realization that time is not, as it relates to us, it is not infinite. It's very finite. And the challenge I think a lot of us have is we don't have <clears throat> this wake up call. Now you've lived a very purposeful, uh, I think, or an extraordinary life. And, and even with that episode, you're saying there was, there's, there's some more work to do. So look, I commend you. I, I thank you for sharing that. I, I think one of the great takeaways, <clears throat> I'm already looking into the future for this show, uh, is if anybody takes anything, um, one of them can be this, this exercise to help propel them in the direction they really want to go. The way you phrase that I thought was fantastic. It's, am I the person, you know, I want to be, or is there a different character out there that I can work to, you know, develop? So again, thanks for doing that, Johnny. Uh, yeah. As we, 
as we kind of bring this around the the, the horn, at least second base, <laughs> approaching third, uh, let's talk a little bit about the the philanthropy in 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 particular. As much as I love Big Brothers, I actually want to talk about what what you've been doing with the homes down in uh, in and around Tijuana. Can you share some of that? Uh, yeah, it's it's charity started by uh, Chris and Julia in North called uh, Build a Miracle. We, we got involved in a, in a small way, and we, we enjoy going down there once every once a month or once every other month and uh, help these people out. And it's a selfish um, trip because you come back with more takeaways. You see the contentedness of these people, and then they have a dirt floor and, and four pieces of plywood and a tarp for a roof. Roof, and um, they're happier than some of the people I know in Poway. Right. Um, but uh, we got involved in that. And it's it's good for my kids to see. Um, you know, they, they live in a nice house that's nice and warm, and uh, it's good for them to see. That's you know, not everyone has that. So so build a miracle or BAM for short. Um, <clears throat> just. Just to give this a little bit more color, the the organization's been around how many years? Over over twenty years. Chris and Julianne started it as students uh, at LMU, and wow. they, they started with one house, and now they're up to house two seventy, I believe, two eighty. Incredible. And they how do they how do they find the worthy? Uh, you know, obviously there's there's hundreds or thousands. There's probably millions of people who could use this service that brings them basically a a fabricated, a real home. But but the question is, how do they qualify those needy families down in Tijuana? Well, the director who lives in Tijuana, Adolfo, there's a strict vetting process. And the, the family has to obviously have jobs. They have to own the land and they help them structure a deal where they buy the piece of land where the house is. Uh, they have to serve 500 hours of community service and, um, and it's based on need also. But, um, once, once they're fully vetted, they're on a waiting list and you see them at the other job sites working for other people's houses. And, um, but you're right. There's an unlimited need down there. You drive down there. The, the drive down there is profound. It's a half hour South of the border. And you think it's just a drop in the ocean. What are we, what are we even doing? I mean, what's one house going to do, but it's a drop in the ocean, but to that family, it's their ocean. So they, you know, to them, it's their world. And it's a profound moment. Uh, the day you hand the house over to the family, it's, um, it's, it's just something amazing. Some, some amazing days we've had down there with those wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, uh, I'm happy to say I've been witness to this once or twice and and yeah I've seen um the entire family absolutely in tears of of joy <laughs> it's crazy I could I could probably start crying of thinking about it but uh these are you know I was thinking about that one girl who who was who was explaining how um uh, how she's going to stay dry because she couldn't believe she's going to have a room. And by a room, I mean, the entire family was living under tin. So she she's literally going to have a room and it's going to be dry and warm. And, you know, everybody's they're, they're writing speeches, they're reading speeches and and you are you and your family have and I know you know this but I'm just sharing it's it transforms them not just from um the standpoint that they have a nicer place to live there's I, I don't know if they're actual studies but but the anecdotal evidence is they feel better about themselves they become better students they give more back to the community so so your impact, John, is is extraordinary, and and I'm just uh, honored to know you, and thank you for oh, doing that. You're killing that. me. You're killing me. As usual, I get more credit than I deserve. It's a team of people. I have co-donors. Um, Chris and Julianne set the whole thing up, but we just we write a couple checks and go down there. But um, <laughs> the the real takeaway is the subsequent trips we go down. 
Then we see the family who got the house six months ago or a year ago and how they've changed. They look different. You know, they're, they're taking classes. They're getting their, you know, one dad's getting his grade school education. You know, he's just motivated to be a better man, um, which seems like the theme of the day here. <laughs> yeah. Hey, that's okay. That's why it's called habits to goals. Um, well, I want to make sure, and I know you'll make sure uh, I get the proper link and all the. I want to share that that organization off of um, the show notes, just to make sure people can find it and support it if if it calls to them. Um, <clears throat> real quickly, I will just say John has been a tremendous benefactor as well for Big Brothers Big Sisters, specifically here in San Diego, and he is. And has been for some time the number one all time fundraiser for the golf marathon. So that deserves another, another clap. Thank you for sponsoring those, uh, incredible one to one mentor matches. Yeah. I don't know where I found out about Big Brothers. There was this amazing guy. Oh yeah. It was you who got me involved in Big Brothers 10 years ago. Well, what you have done is extraordinary. I thought. I thought uh, our little contribution was good, but but you've lapped that once or twice. So thank you so much. All right. Now we're at third base, headed towards home. I want you, if you could, please, to, unless you have anything else to share about the uh, anything we've touched on, I should ask. Um, no, I was um... – no, I'll just go ahead and ask your question. Okay. Cool. <laughs> I, I could talk all day, but well, uh, this one's an easy one, sort of, and not really. Uh, how do you define success? Yeah, work-life balance. Um, like I talked about earlier, um, I, I remember. I, I remember a, a trip to Maui that um, all the owners of our franchise took together. So we we were on a, the same plane pretty much, and. Everybody got off the plane. Um, as soon as the plane landed, everybody turns their phone on. <laughs> and then I'm watching owners of restaurants, 25 of them, all just panicking, putting out fires. And then the whole bus ride to the hotel, they're on the phone, you know, yelling at people. And I, I turned my phone on. I didn't get a single voicemail or a single um, crisis alert. And uh, I, I don't know. I just don't think – I don't think these people have balance. They have to be in control and constantly be grinding. And I, I think a quiet phone is a sign of success. I, I don't think you have to be that guy, you know, that guy in the airport who's on his laptop, on his phone, you know, just yelling at people, making deals. I, I don't think that's a sign of success. I think the work-life balance is, is the most thing. And if it floats your boat to, to be a grinder 80 hours a week, if that's what makes you happy, you know, Go for it, but I don't think that is a sign of success. I love that. A quiet phone. Oh my God, that's my favorite. And I'll. Uh, hey, I copyrighted that. You say that again? I copyrighted that. Every yeah, time you, you get say it. Dot com. Yeah. Quietphone.com. Um, <laughs> all right, give me your three best, if you don't mind, habits. Oh, three, huh? All right. Um, three. Every morning I wake up at 5.15. Uh, it's my hour of power, 5.15 to 6.15. Uh, it's when I read, reflect, meditate. Um, I do a, a half-hour Spanish lesson every day, Pimsler, Pimsler courses. Um, it helps us communicate when we go down to Tijuana with our families. Got it. Um, and sometimes it's painful. Sometimes you don't want to do it. I mean, but I, I think those are the days where you, you get a lot out of it. Like the day you don't want to go to the gym or the day you don't want to go for that run, you have a great run. But um, instead of wishing my Spanish were better, you know, I applied myself for the past two years. Now I can actually translate for some of the people that don't speak Spanish down there. That's incredible. Um, and calorie tracking. I like, um, you know, um, with with your uh, MyFitnessPal yep. and your iWatch, it's a good way to watch your intake and, and output. And one more is um, drop the kids off at school, 10 to 8, straight to the gym. I mean, don't don't come home and go near the cancerous thing known as emails. Don't, you know, stay disciplined, straight to the gym. 
get that workout in. Because once you start, I find myself, once I start getting distracted by outside influences, then my day shot, you know, and I, I'm kicking myself at noon because one thing led to another, led to another. So I think that's important. The email black hole. Well, those are exactly, exactly. That's fantastic. The, uh, that's a great list of habits. How about one, one or two not so great habits that you may be trying to modify? Um, how about a consistency of goals? I mean, um, I, I've, I golf with some guys who are retired Navy fighter pilots, and they say flying is hour after hour of complete boredom surrounded by moments of sheer terror. <laughs> and I, I find myself being like that as far as goals go. For instance, today we're going out of town tomorrow, so today's like, today's like the day before vacation. So I've been like a Tasmanian devil today, just crossing things off my list. I mean, I've been getting so much done today. <laughs> um, things I could have done a month ago, but for some reason – Today's the day I'm going to get everything done. And I, I, I really need to be more consistent. I, I mean, I procrastinate 95% of the time. And then when my back's up against the wall, I get stuff done. So I need to be more consistent about that. And um, probably drinking less also. And in the past month, I've been drinking for two since you're not drinking, I heard <laughs> from your last podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yes. that is, uh, that's coming to an end this Friday. But yeah, it's, I'm going on like 40 or I don't know, close to 40 days, something like that. That's amazing, bro. That's, that's, that's amazing. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I figure it's always good to do a little checkup from the neck up. Um, all right. So we covered the habits. How about a, and you touched on one book earlier, but maybe one or two more transformative books um, influential books that you can recommend to our amazing H2G audience. Well, here, here's a book I bet most people haven't heard of. Um, and, and it's similar to your favorite. I heard a couple of podcasts ago, as a man thinketh. Yep. But I'm talking about, uh, the miracle of right thought. Oh, uh, are you familiar with that? Of course you are. You, you gave it to me. <laughs> or Orison Orison Svet or something? Yeah, sweet Martin. Martin is the yeah. is the last name. And yeah, you can open that book up to any page and get uh insightful, thoughtful um logic. And it was written in the early nineteen hundreds. So uh, the, the you know, it's it's a different time, a different de- generation, but the lessons are just um ageless. So that's by my nightstand. I usually give it to a good friend um, for a, a birthday or Christmas or something. But um, it's a book not many people have heard of, but I just love it. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, and thanks for the gift. And uh, I'll tell you what, I love that book. I have, first of all, it's it's very hard to find, at least the, the edition I have. Um, really a fantastic book. It, it does remind me very much of As a Man Thinketh and... Um, yeah, I can't say enough good things about that book. So I'm so glad nobody's ever brought that one up. So thank you. How about, and you've already covered this slightly with a few, uh, apps you had mentioned, but any, uh, you know, terrific apps, websites, tech tools, something you can't live without that you're just loving that you want to share with the audience. I can't live without Audible. I mean, I'm always listening to a book everywhere I go. Oh. Um, and um, I also like Slack. I think Slack is a really useful tool um, for any organization. It's a way for our managers to communicate, our employees to communicate, share content. Um, I, I think um, I think Slack is really going to take off when more people find out about it. Yeah, and the great thing is, excuse me, about regarding Audible, I can now uh, hang our special promo for Audible related to Habits to Goals as they are a sponsor, and people will get one, I believe it's one month free. So that was a a nice natural plug, and Slack is, (laughs) I have no direct experience, but I have countless friends who use it and swear by it. And, uh, at some point I'll have a reason to use it. 
So perfect. All right, John, how can I'm going to get some links from you, sir. Um, is there anything worth uh, anything you want to promote, share before we sign off? No, I'm good. No, just come eat at the restaurants if you like it. Uh, give us a good review. If we if we suck, uh, give us a terrible review. Okay. But uh, <laughs> come on and eat some pancakes. That's right. So anybody listening in the San Diego slash Temecula region, we will make sure we hang links off that. You can find the original pancake house. Is it OPH.com? What do we got? What's the OPH com and OPH Temecula.com. Our menu's on there and um, All right. directions. And so before we hang up, it's time for the big reveal. Um, yeah, yeah. Drum roll, please. So I did not want to share this at the beginning of the show because I guess I was concerned that people might think um, this would be a softball interview or something. Um, but the fact is, I touched on it right out of the gates. Mr. Lingham is more than just a very good friend. He. <laughs> He happens to be my brother-in-law, so that's got to tell you what an incredible man this is because the guy's family, and I still think he's so exceptional, I had to interview him for the podcast. So, again, I just didn't want to give that up on the front-end listener. Now that you've heard this, and I'm sure you're going to go back and listen to it again, you he dropped so many, I think, great gems. Um, so again, John, thank you so much. Do you want to share the one, the one thing you usually say to <laughs> to, to people who meet me after uh, they find out we're brothers? In yes. Law? Uh, would Would you let your sister marry this man? And, and yes, <laughs> I, I I did. I I did reluctantly, but uh, he turned out to be a pretty okay guy over the years. <laughs> last 20 years that's uh yeah it's only been a couple of years would you let this man marry your sister oh that's a great line <laughs> that's a great line all right well i'm glad i got that off my chest and shared that with the audience all right johnny we are going to sign off uh say goodbye to the audience oh it's an honor to be on this i love this podcast and um I uh, love the interviews. Glad I, glad I could be a part of it. Thanks yeah, for inviting well, me. Well, I, I think you knocked it out of the park. And again, I think you left so much value that uh, we're going to be picking up the pieces here for a while. Thank you so much, John. We'll uh, see you soon-ish. Take care, brother. Okay. Later. Bye. We'll see you at the next episode.